You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Welcome to the program today. Uh, today is the 21st day of September 2021. We are going to be reading Chapter 10 of the United Order. The tithe is the Lord's. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827, and the chat room is available at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Uh, I was not able to do a recording today, so Kim is going to be reading. Kim, are you there? Yep, sorry, 
I oh. thought I had it unlocked, and I was like, yep, uh, yep. <laughs> Fine. Okay. Um, I am actually pulling on the skill at the rail yard, so I need to uh, okay. put myself in mute. So could you dedicate the program and then just uh, start the reading, and I will put myself sure on thing. mute. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Let's do the dedication first. I might have kids running in the background and talking. Um, they are not in bed yet. Uh, they will be in bed, but not yet. Um, so we have a little bit of chaos going on in the background until it's bedtime for them. Anyways, let's go ahead and dedicate. Our Father in heaven, we come before thee this night and give thee praise and offer thanks for all of our many blessings and the time that we have had today to better ourselves and grow closer to thee, uh, to learn more of thee, and also we're thankful to be able to um, practice uh, being more Christ-like and being being able to um, edify ourselves as well. Um, Heavenly Father, we ask thee tonight that thou would be with us as we uh, learn of thee and of the history of the church as well as the history of your people. Um, And we ask thee to help enlighten our minds and our hearts that we might understand what it is that thou would have us learn tonight, what it is that thou is trying to help us to learn and just be able to grow with more light and knowledge of thee. We ask thee to please help us to understand what it is that thou would have us do at this time to bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We are truly grateful for thee and for the opportunity that we have to learn to do better and grow each day. Uh, We want to be more like thee, Father, and we ask that thou would help us to do that. These things we ask for and hope in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and go right into the reading. Hold on one second. I have a little kid playing cars. Um, And we need to grab an older kid who is playing on her phone. Yep, I can't have him, like, crashing cars in the background because it's distracting. Okay. Oh, he's going to throw it. All right, so we are on, we're in Ensign to the Nations on Volume 4, and we're on page 2,424 of that book. Um, And we are in um, Chapter 10 of the United Order in that text. And we are on page 143 of that. And it's called, The Tithe is the Lord's. It starts off with a quote from Leviticus, chapter 27, verse 30, quote, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. 
end quote. Again, that's Leviticus chapter 20, verse 30. Tithing was not a new law introduced by Moses, for it existed in the days of the patriarchs, even from the beginning of time. These tithes came from the annual increase of crops, herds, etc. See Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. Some of this 10% was for the assistance of the poor, the fatherless and widows, also to sustain the Levites who, whose full time was devoted to the administering, administering the ordinances of the Lord. See Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 29. There is an important scripture indicating the close relationship between tithing and the law of consecration and showing that they were both being practiced in the time of Abraham. For the inspired translation of the Bible, we read in <clears throat> Genesis 14:39 through 40, quote, Wherefore, Abram paid unto him, meaning Melchizedek, tithes of all that he had, of all the riches which he possessed, which God had given him more than that which he had need. Um, as in surplus. And it came to pass that God blessed Abraham and gave unto him riches and honor and lands for everlasting possession, his inheritance, according to the covenant um, of consecration, which he had made, and according to the blessings wherewith Melchizedek had blessed him with his stewardship. Uh, and quote from Genesis chapter 14, um, let's see, chapter 14, verses 39 through 40. Thus, the principles of tithing, surplus, inheritance, consecration, and stewardship were all in vogue at the time of Father Abraham. It will be discovered that both the laws of tithing and consecration are companions, both eternal and everlasting principles that are never to be done away. One does not substitute or supplant the other. A good example of the close relationship of these two laws can be found in the Book of Mormon. When the Savior appeared to the Nephites after his resurrection, he commanded them to obey the statute of tithing, which he quoted from the prophet Malachi. In 3 Nephi, chapter 24, verse 6, and also verse 10, it says, quote, For I am the Lord, I change not, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. Saith the Lord, if I will not... Hello? Um, sorry, I hit a button. I don't know what happened. Oh, okay. Olivia, you're making a lot of noise in my background, just saying. Um, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. End quote from Third Nephi, chapter 24, verses 6 and 10. But then we read that on the very next day, they did minister one to another, and they had all things in common among them. In 3 Nephi chapter 26, verse 19. Did they reject the law of tithing that the Lord just had just given them, and then during the night set up the united order? Why did the Lord give this law of tithing to them and say that it would be also for future generations if they were going to abandon it the next day? It is another proof that both tithing and consecration were being practiced at the same time by the same people, but for different purposes, purposes. We're now on page 145. The Nephites continued to obey the principles of the United Order for a considerable time, and they had all things in common, or all things common among them. Therefore, they're not rich and poor, beyond and free, or bond and free, but they were made free and partakers of the heavenly gift. That's 4th Nephi chapter 3. 
Both tithing and united order were also combined in the revelations of the Lord to the Latter-day Saints. Although many Mormon people say that tithing is a lesser law, there is no scripture to substantiate that theory. Others say that it is stepping is a stepping stone to lead people into the united order and concentration. But if such were the case, then the Lord would have given tithing to the Mormons before he gave them the law of consecration. However, it was, on the other hand, okay, however, it was the other way around. When the church was only a few months old, the Lord gave the saints the law of consecration. In February 9th, 1831, see D&C, chapter 42. Shortly afterwards, the Lord gave further instructions for obeying this law of consecration in sections 51, 52, 56, 57, and 58. Seven months later, on September 11th, 1831, the, it says C, C, like the letter C, 6433. <clears throat> the Lord said that it was a day of the tithing of my people. This sounds as if the Lord may be giving up the principles of consecration, but two months later, he told the saints more about this law of consecration. He said that their surplus must go to the storehouse and that none are exempt from this law who belong to the church of the living God. That's Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 70, verse 10. He continued to add more instructions on the law of consecration in sections 78, 82, 84, 85, and 88. Now we're on page 146. Later on, August 2nd, 1833, the Lord again called for the saints to build a house by the tithing of my people. That's D&C 97, verse 11. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Had to sneeze. A year after this tithing law, the Lord continued to reveal more on the law of consecration, saying that it is, benef- it is for the benefit of my church and for the salvation of men until I come. DNC 104, verse 1. Three months after this revelation on consecration, the Lord gave a revelation on tithing, which was for my holy priesthood. That's DNC 119, verse 4. Three years after this tithing revelation in section 119, the Lord called George Miller to be a bishop like Edward Partridge to receive the consecrations of mine house. And that's from DNC 124, verse 21. Doesn't this seem inconsistent? Can anyone determine where consecration was repealed and tithing was substituted? If anyone thinks that consecration was done away with and tithing was left as the law of the church, how does he explain why the Lord gave a revelation nearly 10 years after the last law of tithing, which called for Brigham Young to organize the saints into companies that would bear an equal proportion according to the dividend of their property? That's DNC 136 verse 8. Essentially, we must conclude that consecration was the first and the last economic law given to the church. But that does not explain how tithing can be a law that would continue until the Lord would come. To make this all a little more confusing, it is interesting to note the Lord sometimes mentioned tithing and consecration in the same paragraph or even in the same sentence. Once he said in DNC 119 verses 1 and 3, I require all their surplus property to be put in the hands of the bishop, and this shall be the beginning of the tithing of my people, end quote. Again, that's D&C 119, verses 1 and 3, on page 147. On another occasion, the Lord said that the saints should receive their inheritance by consecration, agreeable to this law which he has given, that he may tithe his people, D&C 85, verse 3. Again, on July 8th, 
1838, a public meeting was held to discuss the law of consecration and stewardship when a revelation was given that pertained to tithing. See Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 3, page 44. The reason why tithing and consecration were often mentioned together is because they are meant to function together. Simply said, tithing belongs to the law of consecration, and consecration is not complete without the law of tithing. The Lord said that consecration is an everlasting order in D&C 104, verse 1, and that tithing is a standing law unto them forever, D&C chapter 119, verse 4. It may seem contradictory that both the united order and tithing can exist at the same time and among the same people. And it may seem impossible consecration and tithing can both be everlasting laws of the gospel. The question then arises as to how these two important principles of the gospel can function at the same time. Consider the following revelation on how these two laws can function when they are obeyed properly. Hold on a second. There's something going on with my my mic. Am I still coming in okay, Emmett? You're fine. I hear you fine. Okay. Okay. I was fixing it. It's in my ear. Whenever I touch it, I feel like, oh, no, I'm going to ruin the audio. Um, But I didn't want it to fall out. (laughs) Okay. Um, Thank you, though, for letting me know. Um, Consider the following revelation on how these two laws can function when they are obeyed properly. Um, This first one comes from DNC 119, verses 1, 3, and 4. Verily, thus saith the Lord, I require their surplus property to be put into the hands of the bishop of my church in Zion. And this, meaning consecration, shall be the beginning of the tithing of my people. And after that, those who have thus been tithed shall pay one-tenth of their interest annually. And this shall be standing, a standing law, unto them forever. For my holy priesthood, saith the Lord. And quote. That is from DNC. Chapter 119, verses 1, 3, and 4. It is clear that the law of tithing was to take effect after the consecrations had been made, after the increase had been given to the storehouse of the Lord. Then a tithe was taken. A man living the United Order was commanded to put all his surplus into the bishop's storehouse. Nowhere does it say that he must pay his tithing first. After it is in the storehouse, then it is the duty of the bishop to draw a tithing out and present it to the church headquarters. The church then has the duty to pay to purchase or to contribute the Lord's tithing for those things which the Lord has designated. Consider the problem for the church headquarters if everyone in the church lived the united order and tithing was done away. Where would the church receive funds to operate or to do all the things which the Lord has designated? The Lord's tithing is for him to spend in the way that he has designated. Something doesn't seem right about that to me. Um, The Lord indicates that tithing provides for the poor, church headquarters, the publication of books and pamphlets, the missionary system, temples, church buildings, and other things which he may designate. The United Order is for the benefit of the saints, but the tithing belongs to the Lord. It was on the principle of tithing coordinated with the principle of the United Order that would open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That's from Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. And we're almost right on uh, page 149. Um, And I don't know uh, why, but there's something wrong with what that's saying in that it's like, it doesn't seem right to me. Um, Because if the Lord needed money, he could get it without tithing people. And he has a different way of doing things. 
tithing is a monetary thing that is very um, worldly. Um, that's not the same thing. And living in a united order, having everything in common, is um, like kind of a bartering system between the people here. Um, and that is, um, I believe, uh, personally, that that's a higher law if you are bartering um, with services or goods that you provide uh, for other people and they give you goods and services in replace for that. Um, but a tithing uh, is for a church, which is a um, well, worldly thing. It's for a church to a function. Thing, and it's not a bartering thing either, because you're not bartering. You're, you're providing um, for the United Order that you're in by working in the United Order. Um, but there still has to be uh, some cash that flows through the United Order. So, like the Amish, they build or they make furniture or whatever, and then they sell it for money so that they can uh, use that money to buy and fix equipment and parts and all of that that they're not able to do within the United Order. But um, I don't know. I it's not bartering, though. That's that's different. And tithing's not worldly. Tithing is meant well, to the, be done the way the that increase. this is saying it is because because it's saying you give all this stuff to your United Order, and then the bishop takes ten percent out of that and gives it to the church. Well, I don't know how. I guess that ten percent could be like items. So back in the olden days, <laughs> um, you know, you tithe of your flock, which Abraham, he ties a tenth of his flock. Uh, the flocks could have been used to, uh, to sell to the Gentiles or to whoever, you know. Um, so that was like cash, you know. So that was like his wealth was in his flock. So he gave 10% of the increase, which meant basically if you had 100 sheep, um, give birth to ten babies. You gave one of the the babies, but that also doesn't include the uh, you know the the sacrifices of the time. So, but it's not a it's not bartering, and tithing's not a, a worldly thing. Like, so I the the church that that I run, Church of the Living Messiah. It doesn't have to, there's no funds that need, other than, like, we pay for the equipment, we pay for the internet, we pay for the phones, um, and we pay for, you know, there's things that need to be paid for. We don't have a church, so I don't have any upkeep, the, upkeep the, on the uh, church. Web page. The web page, yeah, like, there's things yeah. that, but... Um, since we're in a monetary system anyway, we just use the 10% of my income to fund those things, and we don't ask for a tithing from the faithful who actually believe the things that I say and learn from this program, so I don't ask for any money for that. But, like, if this was 
if I ever get into the point where um, I have to keep a building or something like that, there might be some means that are needed for the upkeep. Also, it, it does cost you know, missions and stuff. And then, like, when people ask us to, uh, if we can, like, baptize them, you know, there's some travel expense included in that don't invite people to our home unless we know them personally, like, very mm-hmm. well, you know. So we yeah. we do go pay for, like, we'll go get a hotel up in Salt Lake or whatever, and we'll go and do the ordinances for the people, and that does cost money, but we don't even ask people to pay for that either. So, um, yeah, I was thinking I, more along the lines of, um, when when talking about the tithes and stuff in of a church, um, the from what I have experienced, the church is not always God's will. It doesn't always have God's will in mind with the churches that are going on, and they do what they wish with the monies that are given to them, and it's always well, a man. That's what I was trying to say. When you take the LDS church as, a, as an example, yeah, they're actually... Joseph Smith said that um, it is uh, not the mind, or it is that it's not, or it's the mind and will of God that this people shall not lay up another dollar for the building up of Babylon the Great, and that uh, we shouldn't be using our sacred tithing funds for stocks and bonds. And I mean, he didn't say that exactly, but that's basically what he said. You know, don't don't use your tithing to build up the devil's kingdom. And the LBS Church, they do. They, uh, because of Heber J. Grant and what he did, um, and I don't want to get into all the details of it, but all of the tithing funds at Chase Manhattan Bank for two years before it's released to them, uh, according to the contracts the church made with the Devil's Kingdom or Babylon the Great, you know, and uh, and then, but not only that, after all those funds uh, are released back to the church without any of the interest, because, like, that's paid off to whoever it is, the government or whatever it is, um, you know, the church will then take the tithing funds and put them in investment accounts and stuff, and then all of the, um, all of the, the funds from the interest of the investment accounts is what they use to fund everything. That's why when they did the $7 billion shopping mall downtown, they were able to say, well, we didn't use tithing funds for this, which is technically true because what they did was they took the tithing funds, they invested them in stocks and bonds and different things, and then they used the interest uh, on those, those investments to fund the the secular shopping mall, $7 billion shopping mall downtown. So, but getting back to United Orders and tithing, there is some tithing, uh, there's some cash from the increase of the United Orders that um, may may be tithed, you know, upwards to the stake and to the uh, to the first presidency and the general councils of the church for whatever they need because they 
there is money that is needed to run an organization, even if you cut out all of the expenses that these guys do. There still is some funds that need to be, um, you know, gathered for that purpose. So, but the way the church does it now, it's just basically they've monetized the gospel. Yeah, that's what I was thinking uh, about when I was saying that. Yeah, and that actually is not right. They should not be doing that, but they do it anyway, whatever, but... Yeah. So you're well. That's you're what I meant right. by it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Eugene. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh. Well, you're almost right, but here's where you're wrong. Right? We have a friend named Eugene Richardson. He's very knowledgeable, and him and I used to get into these. Uh, we used to do this program called, uh, or it was Kevin Kraut's phone call. <laughs> Yeah. And me and Eugene and Art Pritchard, who has since passed away, uh, we basically hijacked the whole call, and we would talk about things. And Eugene was so famous, and he does this to everybody, not just me. Well, you're almost right, but here's where you're wrong. And, like, so, yeah, that's what Kim is bringing up is, you know, kind of like a, a reference to what she's talking about with Eugene Richardson and like, I really enjoy talking with Eugene, um, but, yeah, he does that all the time. It drives me a little bit nuts. Anyway, I'm going to mute myself. Okay, I'll keep reading. The tithing system that we have in the church today could never open any of the windows of heaven. The reason being that a rich man who pays tithing might be living next door to a poor widow who is also paying tithing, and that inequality is an evil which the Lord can, can cannot condone. That is an unjust, just, and unfair system, which is not according to the Lord's law of tithing. Today in the church, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. The Lord is not satisfied with the kind of condition among his people, even if they are individually paying tithing. The Lord said that it is not given that one man should possess that which is above another. That's from DNC 3827. But under our present system of economies and tithing, all men are unequal in their possessions and therefore unapproved by the Lord only when men live the united order and then collectively pay a tithe of their surplus to the Lord. Can the windows of heaven be opened? There is another objection for individual payment of tithing, even in a united order. Let us consider a ward or a whole community living in the highest form of the United Order. After the family system, we learn that some men are devoting all of their time and talents to spiritual tithings or spiritual things, just as the Levites did. The Lord said in DNC chapter 70, verse 12 and verse 14, he who is appointed to administer spiritual things, the same is worthy of his hire even as those who are appointed to a stewardship to administer in temporal things. Nevertheless, in your temporal things, you shall be equal, and this not grudgingly. End quote from DNC uh, chapter 70, verse 12 and 14. Now we're on page 150. If a man is devoting all of his time to the spiritual things, then he has nothing to pay 10% from. Even a bishop might be devoting all of his time to the functioning of the order, not really realizing any temporal profits for his labor. A teacher, a missionary, etc., all might be laboring in the order and never see any money for their work. 
And it would be impossible for them to pay a tithing. In fact, there may be only a very few men in the order who would be handling money, doing their merchandising, buying and selling for the whole order. It would certainly not be their responsibility to pay the tithing. Orson Pratt explained in the Seer, Orson Pratt, page 293, quote, If they are equally faithful, they are equally beloved of the Lord, and they are equally entitled to food and raiment and to the good things of the earth. And the bishop has no more claim upon the Lord's storehouse than the least member of the church, only at his time may be more occupied in public matters, which may prevent him from cultivating the earth or engaging in other business avocations. And the same is true in regard to the 12 or the first presidency, the highest officers and the lowest are all one in Christ's children of the same great family. End quote. From the Seer, Orson Pratt, page 293. A properly organized United Order might function for many years with most of the members never handling money. Yet if the bishop were paying to the church headquarters a tithe from the surplus of the order, then all the members would be full tithe payers and yet equally faithful to the law of consecration. This is the Lord's law of tithing and united order. No other system is acceptable to him. A tithing from the surplus would make them all obedient in the law of consecration and tithing and equal as he has commanded. It would be foolish to think that we must continue to keep living by the Gentile money system that we can individually pay tithing. United order is the law of heaven, and it is ridiculous to assume that the greenbacks have any place inside the pearly gates. Tithing is a fair law only when it is drawn proportionally from the surplus of the order of, or community. A true united order lives like a family, with only a few at the head that control the buying and selling. Several of the family orders in the early church history paid their tithing from the surplus at the end of the year, according to the law of the Lord. In the order of Utah, it was part of their law that 10% of the net increase of the order was paid to the church each year for tithing. That comes from Building the City of God, Arrington, Fox, and May, page 276. There were several good reasons for this, and one was that the church received tithing from the order and hence was in a strategic position to maintain control of the order. Mormon United Order in Utah by Angus Woodbury, page 13. This assured the church that it was receiving a full tithing from its members, something that has never been achieved under the present system of tithing. It is difficult to point to a time when the church was obedient to the law of the United Order and tithing as the Lord commanded. Brigham Young knew this and said in Journal of Discourse, Volume 10, page 20, I sometimes think that, think that I would be willing to give anything to do, almost anything, in reason to see one fully organized branch of this kingdom, one fully organized ward. Is there even in this territory a fully organized ward? Not one. It may be asked, why do you not fully organize the church? Because the people are incapable of being organized. I could, I could organize a large ward who would be subject to a full organization by selecting families from the different wards. But at present, such a branch of the church is not in existence. End quote. From General Discourse, Volume 10, page 20. <clears throat> Our tithing system in the church today is in many respects less equitable and certainly less fair than the Gentile system of income tax. This tithing system takes the same percentage from everyone, which is easy for the rich, but a burden on the poor. But the income tax takes most from the rich and nothing from the poor. And in some instances, the wealth is taken uh, from the rich is given to the poor. The income tax is an unconstitutional and an abominable program because it is enforced upon people. But nevertheless, it is more fair and just than our individual tithing system. There are several faults to this present tithing system, as noted by some students of Mormonism. For example, 
In the United Order among Mormons, Joseph Geddes, page 66, it says, quote, in regard to the financial affairs of the Mormon church, three criticisms are now common. Number one, that the tithing system is inequitable. Number two, that the revenues of the church are controlled by few of its leaders. And number three, that the pecuniary interests rather than the social welfare of the people have become the controlling factor in the distribution of its income, end quote. From United Order Among the Mormons, Joseph Geddes, page 66. Um, Hold on one second. I can't hear you anymore. I know. Sorry, I said just one second. Um, Our son is sitting in the uh, office not doing anything but playing video games, and he's supposed to be spraying the floor in here like I asked him to do. You don't have to turn that on, but you do have to start yeah, this I wonder, right now. So I asked him if he would please use the laptop to set up the, uh, the you know, the microphone and the soundboard today. And uh-huh. uh, when I came back downstairs after I was, you know, when I woke up, the laptop's in the same place it was, the charging board's in the same place it was, the soundboard, the microphone, and all of that were in the same They didn't do any of that. And uh, I went in the office, and the video game fan is on because it's hot, you know. So I think basically what he did is just play video games after I asked him to do all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, I was trying to be more aware of it, which is why I just stopped everything because I was like, oh, he's sitting in there doing that again. And I'm pretty sure that yeah. he had work that he needed to do. But also, Liddy wasn't in doing her job, so I just had to pause it for one second and remind them that I am listening and I am aware, okay. even though it's I'm on fine. the radio show. So, yeah. for so the I can audience, continue, though. You know, <laughs> oh, we're a family. Yeah. We have five kids. And, you know, we do this at this time uh, so that people can listen when they're off work or whatever. And, uh, you know... Uh, when we do these things, when we sit down and take our, well, when when Kim takes the time to do these things, the kids, for some reason, think that it's a free-for-all and that all the stuff that needs to get done as part of the normal operations of our family, they don't have to do anything. They just run and hide and go do whatever they want instead of what they are They play with to. their phones. They play with their electronics. They get on the line. They um, do all of the things that my our kids are spoiled, and I need to, we need to let them have other experiences. So when I grew up, I didn't have a whole lot of stuff, and I am very thankful for the things that I'm able to have now and what we can afford. Um, because of how hard I work and how hard Mark works, we are hard workers. But our kids don't appreciate that. And they do that by when we get them things and we're like, yay, we can get them stuff. And then um, they don't care for them. They take they, advantage of it. Yeah, and they, they, they neglect their, their responsibilities. Yeah. But, yeah, like, so um, dinner needs to be done. The food needs to be packed for me to go to work tomorrow. Um, also... The lunches and everything have to be done because Kim wakes up at 5.30 in the morning and she has to leave by 6.45 at the latest. And she's always trying to, like, get all this stuff done that was supposed to be done the night before. And that's why I try to record the show so that she can do that and just listen. And, like, you know, they can monitor the studio, but they don't, like, 
they don't use the time that we have to do the things that need to be done, and then it just turns into a huge mess, and it turns into uh, people not getting ready for school and work on time and all these delays. Yeah. Oh, you're breaking up a little. You know, every second of 24 hours. So, and we, like, want My... them to have, like, free time and stuff, but what yep. they do is because they drag their feet in every single chore that they do, they spend all of their time doing the chores that are easy to be done, and then they don't do it right, you know, like, well, for instance, yeah. and I know this isn't part of the radio program, but for instance... Uh, we have a dishwasher, but it, we don't have a garbage disposal in the dishwasher. And uh, we need um, the dishes to be done in the sink with soap and water. And then we use the dishwasher for like a second rinsing and just to make sure it's thoroughly clean. Sanitizing. You know. Yeah. Yeah, but like we go and we find that food is is just in the bottom of the dishwasher all the time because they don't do what they're told. They don't do it how it's yeah. supposed to be done. And then uh, when there's a bunch of food in the bottom of the dishwasher and we're not like paying attention, uh, you know, the the dishes are dirty even after they're supposedly clean. You know, that's how they are. But they are yeah. uh, 16, 12. Eight and six, and then we have a two-year-old. So, you know, I mean, it is far for the course, but it's still yeah. That's what I was thinking too. Everything we tell them all the time how things need to be done, exactly what the instructions are, and then they don't do it, or they want to argue with us about well. That's yeah. not the way that I think it should be done, or whatever. But then the way that because they do they, it, the two older ones have it. The two well, older ones have Asperger's, work. and so they don't understand. Well, they have a hard time with, like, um, regular social interaction. And well, so they feel I like... They think they're smarter than we are. Well, okay, hold on. Let me finish. Right. Okay. Um, they feel like um, they know what's right, and they feel like um, because if I tell them to do something, for example they feel like they can delegate authority to anybody else, even me or to Mark, because they feel like, well, you can do that. So I can do that. They don't have any like hierarchy of, no, I'm the adult. I make your life possible. I'm trying to teach you how to do this. You need to listen and do it the right way. Need to be done. Like the way I look at it is our home is like a ship and everybody has their jobs and we, as adults, we try to help out and do the things that we need to do, but we need them to do the things that they need to do. But they think Every for kid some needs some kind that, of chore. They need something to do. Yeah. Well, they don't need to be weighted on hand and foot. Yeah. Well, they need, it to, they the need to learn. Okay. Yep, I'm on you're the going up road, the mine road. So I'm going to be yep. myself. Yep. Yeah. So, right. um, just like as a part of learning and living and growing, um, the best way for anybody to learn anything is by doing, by going through it and living it. And so if you wait on your kids hand and foot and do everything for them, they will never learn how to do it on their own. And that doesn't help them out because then you end up with a 21 year old moving out of the house who cannot do their own laundry, doesn't understand the concept of doing dishes, doesn't know 
um, how to do like minuscule little um, chores or things that relate to everyday life. So, um, yeah, so it's a disservice if you're not trying to teach your kids or um, try to help them to be individual people who can have self-help skills and, um, you know, live their life without you. So, anyways, I guess I'll continue on the reading. I'm almost actually done with the chapter. Um, It is, wow, so long ago since I was reading. Okay, specific purposes for tithing were revealed by the Lord when he said, in D&C 42, verses 34 through 36, quote, to administer to the poor and the needy, as shall be appointed by the high council of the church and the bishop and his council, and for the purpose of purchasing lands for the public benefit of the church, and building houses of worship, and building up of the new Jerusalem, which is hereafter to be revealed, that my covenant people may be gathered in one in that day when I shall come to my temple, and this I do for the salvation of my people. And quote from DNC 42, 34 through 36, and I just had something pop into my head that I'm going to talk about. Um, so when we're talking about administering to the poor and the needy, um, that is exactly like how this family works. So my kids have nothing. They don't know how to have anything yet. We are going to teach them how to be good citizens. We're going to teach them how to, you know, make money. We're going to teach them how to survive and um, cook food and be able to take care of themselves. It's the same thing when you're in a united order and you have poor and needy or sick and afflicted people among you. So you are not just caring for them constantly. There isn't poor who remain poor eternally, okay? If they want to have a place in God's kingdom, they find purpose, they are taught, they do their work, and they learn how. So um, if you have somebody who is poor, okay, they start off poor. Then you learn about them. Why are you poor? What What is the hang-up? Why... Um, what are you good at? What can you, how can you benefit? What can you do to help out? And that is what you do. I feel like that's what we do as parents. We're like, okay, what is this individual, this soul good at? What can they do? What do they like to do? How is this going to make it easier for them? So you try to relate all of their experiences and their upbringing and all the things they do to what it is that they are, have interests in Um, so that you can make their life happy, but also they're beneficial to the family. So that's what we do. My son Emmett loves to cook. He's loved to cook since he was eight years old. He loves how things mix together. He loves, um, yeah, chemistry, he says. He loves to know how different things, um, when heated, react to each other and make different flavors. So he just loves to do that. So from a very young age, I was like, okay, sure, let's just teach him how to do it. So when he was, you know, eight years old, he was learning how to make a full, you know, turkey dinner. And he can do that. Uh, He could make Thanksgiving if I just bought the ingredients for him. He um, is really great at that. He likes to do it. The one thing he does not do very well is he doesn't know how to clean up after himself. Which we are, oh, he says he knows how to. He doesn't like to. So he's being honest. He doesn't like to. He knows how. So anyways, so that's just like in um, a united order. 
um, the poor don't need to stay poor. They don't need to stay needy. They can be a benefit to the order, um, but they just need to be taught. They need to be learned. They need to um, have a place and a purpose. It just needs to be taught. So it shouldn't be an ongoing thing. And that's just like kids. Yes, you have kids um, that can't do anything for themselves when they're young, but as they grow older and as they um, are learning more, they accept more responsibility and um, they grow uh, smarter, stronger, and they get more blessings from the things that they've learned as they're growing. Um, Okay, so continuing on. From this, we learn that there are at least six important areas from which tithing, for which tithing from the United Order Storehouse was to be used. Number one, administering to the poor and needy. Number two, purchasing more land. Number three, building houses of worship. Number four, building the new Jerusalem. Number five, gathering Israel. Number six, promoting the temporal and spiritual salvation of the saints. When the saints seek to accomplish these things with the tithing funds, then the Lord will bless them. But when they do not, he will curse them. He said, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings, ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. That is from Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 9. <clears throat> Too often the tithing from the churches, groups, or religious organizations is used by a few for investments in business enterprises, which in turn pays, in, pays dividend, dividends or creates lucrative positions for the church leaders rather than for the tithe payers. Often tithing is used by a few for their private expenses or personal use without the consent and often without even the knowledge of the tithe payer. This is priestcraft and the Lord has commanded that there shall be no priestcraft for behold priestcrafts are that men preach and set themselves up for a light unto the world that they may get gain and praise of the world, but they seek not the welfare of Zion. That's 2 Nephi chapter 26, verse 29. The Nephites had trouble with priestcraft, even after the death of Nehor, the major advocate of it. This is, next quote is from Alma 1, chapter, or verse 16. Hold on, I have to sneeze, sorry. Nevertheless, this did not put an end to the spreading of priestcraft. Through the land, for there were many who loved the vain things of the world, and they went forth preaching false doctrines, and this they did for the sake of riches and honor. End quote. That's from Alma chapter 1, verse 16. It has persisted and is still prevalent in the land today. Therefore, money taken for tithing but got used as prescribed by the Lord is priestcraft. For tithing is the Lord's. For tithing is the Lord's. Now on page 155. United order was not to be done away by the law of tithing. Neither is tithing to be abandoned when this people lives the united order. Neither has the law of consecration been done away. It is still binding upon the Latter-day Saints. Everyone going through the temple makes an oath and covenant to obey that law. Although the whole temple ceremony has been published many times, it is not understood by Mormon or anti-Mormon. Consider the covenant taken. Each of you bring your right arm to the square. Or this... Um, Ooh, it doesn't even say where it's coming from. It does. This doesn't give a quote, but it is in um, it is in like italicized. So I believe it's a quote from somewhere. It just doesn't say where. Um, you need to empty that bottom part out and fill it up and have stuff in it. 
you need to empty out the bottom part of that and fill it up with soap. Cause you're using um, that that's too. a covenant from somewhere, I think, one of the laws. Emmett, I already know. You need to do what I ask. Empty out the bottom part and get that part ready. Each of you bring your right arm to the square. You and each of you do covenant and promise before God, angels, and these witnesses at this altar that you will keep the law of consecration as contained in this book of doctrine and covenants, which is that you do consecrate yourselves, your time, talents, and everything. Emmett in the toilet, talents and everything with which the Lord has blessed you or with which he may bless you to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for the building up of the kingdom of God on the earth and for the establishment of Zion. This is another way of saying that we will love God with all our might, mind, and strength. If the Lord had done away with the law of consecration, then why did he continue to make the saints covenant to obey it? Or why did the saints go through the temple and take this oath and covenant to obey the law of consecration and then come out thinking that consecration was done away? When men make this commitment to consecrate yourselves, your time, talents, and everything to the Lord, then they should make every attempt to do so, either collectively or individually. So that covenant is not broken. If they don't, the windows of heaven will continue to remain closed to them. On page 156. There's also an organizational chart for tithing and United Order on page 157 in this book. It's uh, difficult as it is a chart. It's kind of difficult to explain, but it's an organizational chart for tithing and the United Order, um, which is unlike most flow charts I've really seen. So from what it looks like, you get 10% of the surplus, goes to from the united order or from each united order you get 10 percent of those from the bishop's storehouse and it goes to the presiding bishop where there's a central tithing fund if you see dnc 42 34 through 36 it um talks about that i suppose and it goes into the lord's storehouse which they're calling the central tithing fund and then that pays those United Orders all pay for the for building Zion, um, for gathering Israel, publications, temples and buildings, First Presidency, New Jerusalem, missionary work, purchasing lands and care for the poor, widows and orphans. <clears throat> so it's a one-way flow chart and it all flows up. Um, okay, and actually that's the end of that chapter. Now we're on page 158. The next chapter is chapter 11. It's called Building a Zion. <clears throat> um, if you wanted to call in, I will do a little reading, like a prefix, a pre, yeah. No, prefix, just for the um, next chapter. Um, so I'll read a little bit into that, maybe a page or so into that. If you wanted to call in or you have any questions or comments, the call-in number is 917-889-8827. And you can call in um, if you have questions or comments or even if you just want to call in and listen. Or um, you can call in and talk to the host individually. Um, He can pull you into a box, into a private chat where you can talk with him. You can also go online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S, and um, you can find um, all of the links there. Um, 
to get on. There is a chat room open, Emmett. Is the chat room open, Emmett? Oh, I guess he is not listening or answering me. I'm not sure if the chat room is open. Oh, it is, he said. Okay, so you can also get onto the chat room and um, with any questions or comments, and we will check in on that if you have anything that you wanted to say. Um, okay, so now beginning with Chapter 11. Um, Mark, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, but I'm loaded. Oh, I thought I heard the wind. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Um, I'm just about to read the beginning of Chapter 11. Did you have anything that you wanted to say? No, I don't have anything to say. Well, I don't really have a whole lot of time to say anything at all, but that's all I do have. Oh, hold on. Anyway, um, I don't know. Like, there, even in the United Orders, everything needs. Well, oh, this I it, just. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Uh, just go ahead and read, and then I will. Uh, okay. I'll comment when I get down to the bottom of the hill. Okay. Um, do you want me to just read extremely slow? Because I'm just going to read the beginning of the next chapter. I'll just let you know when I'm back on until then. Okay. All right. So chapter 11, building a Zion. I also beheld this, I'm sorry, comes from Joseph Smith, Doctrinal History of the Church, volume 2, page 381. I also beheld the redemption of Zion and many things which the tongue of man cannot describe in full. My scribe also saw in vision the armies of heaven protecting the saints in their return to Zion and many things which I saw. End quote. From Joseph Smith's Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 381. Zion and Babylon have always been competing with each other. They are as opposite in principle as good and evil, but they can exist only in proportion to the will and the works of the people. Good people cannot participate or assist in building up Babylon, nor will the wicked people seek to build up Zion. They cannot long exist together. From what is Zion, a distant view, Hugh Nibley, pages 3 through 4, quote, Babylon is just as pure in its way as is Zion. It is pure evil for even good. When it becomes contaminated and perverted, becomes an evil. The main thing is that Babylon and Zion cannot mix in any degree. A Zion that makes concessions is no longer Zion. End quote. That's from What is Zion? A Distant View, Hugh Nibley, pages 3 through 4. And now on page 159, the Lord uses the word Zion more frequently. Any other word than, it doesn't say than, it just says more frequently. Any other word in the Doctrine and Covenants. Yet, Most of the Latter-day Saints scarcely know its meaning. The importance of Zion cannot be overestimated, for the prophet Joseph said, without Zion and a place of deliverance, we must fall. That comes from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 71. He also said, in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 18, for if Zion will not purify herself so as to be approved in all things, he will seek another people. For his work, 
will go on until Israel is gathered, and they who will not hear his voice must expect to feel his wrath. End quote. That's from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith. Um, somebody let him go. <laughs> teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 18. Hi. What happened? The lights on? Oh, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. It's not broken. It's okay. Um, Lydia? You have an escapee. Do you need your drink of juice? Yeah. Yeah, okay, there it is. Okay. The prophet implies that if this people do not establish a Zion, then God will find someone else who will. The work of gathering Israel must continue in spite of the efforts of those who try to keep them scattered around the world or mixed with those who are not Israel. Furthermore, those who reject these commandments must suffer the wrath of God. Perhaps no injunction upon the Latter-day Saints and its Zion is as forceful and as imperative as this. The grand purpose for the establishment of Zion is explained by the Lord in D&C chapter 29, verses 7 through 8, quote, And ye are called to bring to pass the gathering of mine elect, for mine elect hear my voice and harden not their hearts. Wherefore, the decree hath gone forth from the Father that they shall be gathered in unto one place upon the face of this land to prepare their hearts and be prepared in all things against the day when the tribulation and desolation are sent forth upon the wicked. End quote. That's D&C, chapter 29, verses 7 through 8. We're now on page 160. And speaking of this Zion, the Lord also says that there is none other place appointed for the work of the gathering of my saints, and that they should gather together and stand in holy places until the Savior comes to establish the millennium. See D&C 101, verses 20 and 22. Okay, now you're back. Yeah. I actually got dropped off, and then they had to, like, call back in and all that. Anyway, all right, so um, this is the way I believe things should be in the United Order. So you've got different United Orders, and each one of them have the different stewardships within the order. Uh, Some orders might be up in the mountains, and they might be good at, you know, getting timber and all of that sort of stuff while others might be down farming and taking care of cattle and all of that sort of stuff. So, um, and whatever else it is that they need to do. Each United Order needs mechanics, plumbers, electricians, builders, whatever. So you've got people who are not producing, like, stuff for the United Order, but then you've got too much stuff on the other hand. You know, you've got so much timber, but you don't have any livestock. So, basically, um, what I believe is that each stewardship should uh, take what they need for their personal needs from their stewardship, and then they should give it all to the uh, all the rest of the bishop's storehouse. The bishop's storehouse will take what it needs for the United Order, and then give the surplus to a state. United Order or a stake surplus. And then all of the stuff that comes in from the different wards and branches can be interme- uh, dispersed as things need to be dispersed 
and then you'll have area United orders. So it's kind of like Walmart. Like, so uh, as a truck driver, uh, my job is to pick up stuff. Well, it used to be. I drive a coal truck now. So, but it, uh, it used to be that I would pick up stuff from a warehouse, and uh, sometimes I would take it to a distribution center, whether it be Albertsons or HEB or Walmart or Best Buy or Target and all of the stuff would go into these warehouses and then it was distributed and the local or the, the company drivers for those different companies or the leasers would take the stuff to the different stores and so you've got a huge variety of things that need to be in each store and that's the same way that United Orders should be run. Um, also, any surplus where they're able to uh, sell things to, uh, you know. Can you hear me? Because you're breaking up and I can't hear you. Hello? Did I drop or did he drop? I think he dropped. He'll get right back in, though, I'm pretty sure, in just a minute. Yeah, he dropped. Okay. Hold on one second. Can you hear me, Mark? Yeah. Just go ahead okay. and merge it. I did. Now we're merged. Oh, okay. Uh, it's just easier for me to call you than trying to get back in the studio and all of that. And the cell phone yeah. tonight is really bad. I don't know what's going on, if it's an astrological uh, problem that's affecting cell phone lines or what, but, like, my calls keep dropping. It's ridiculous. In areas where my calls don't usually drop. So, anyway, but... So uh, so each state will take 10% of what they have gathered from the wards, and they'll send that up the chain to the area authorities. And then the area authorities will take 10% from all the things that they've gathered and send it up to the general authorities of the church so that the operations of the general authorities can be, you know, done. And it's kind of like a bottom-up instead of a top-down type of system, and then um, if a state has uh, wards that are having hard times, like if you, for instance, you got a drought, um, and the wards need things, you know, um, then that'll be taken care of by the state presidency and distributed evenly and, and equitably, you know, by the different United Orders that are set up in Zion. So that's how I believe United Orders should be run. And, you know, there's some tweaking and stuff. Each one should also be run by personal revelation, especially personal revelation and uh, revelation of the person who, like state president, receives revelation for his, you know, stake and an area authority receives revelation but it doesn't, um, you know, it's basically the bishop doesn't get questioned by the stake as to whether or not, you know, 
his revelation is relevant or whatever. And also there has to be councils and things that have to be done because all things are to be done by common consent. So um, that's how I believe United Order should be run. Uh, now, that's when Zion comes in uh, and when there's more people, you know, more United Orders available to have a large system but in uh, smaller United Orders, you know, uh, so you've got ten families and you've got one bishop over that uh, those ten families, you know, um, they all contribute and they all work together in a United Order uh, that's self-sufficient from anything else um, until there is enough United Orders to where maybe you might have uh, ten United Orders with a hundred families and that uh, forms a stake. Um, and then the stake, uh, you know, there's a council and everything's still done by common consent. So, anyway, um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, the problem with United Orders within the history of the LDS Church is that very few knew how they were supposed to be run. Brigham Young and other church leaders would say, okay, here you go, you got any United Order, do your best, and then they wouldn't give any instructions as to how the United Order was actually supposed to be run. And um, so a lot of United Orders failed. Some did not fall, but most of them did because there wasn't proper instruction. Now, um, we have been reading a lot where Brigham and others would say, you're going to be in the United Order of Elijah, or, or no, Enoch. Well, there's actually a record of the United Order of Enoch and how they ran things. You know, but they never quote that. They don't talk about it. Um, as far as I know, like, this is speculation on my part, but when they left Nauvoo, there was a ton of stuff church records and documentations and whatnot that Brigham had put on the wagon and then um, he overloaded it and I think he did it on purpose and then he had that wagon go over the ice going out of Nauvoo in a different area where the rest of the saints were and it fell through the ice and it was destroyed from history so they talk a lot about things that that possibly could have been in church history now the only reason I have the order of Enoch is through revelation. Uh, and I'm not the one that received that. The patriarch of the church of the living Messiah, um, he received it. And I know that it's true. I understand that this was a, uh, a revelation and a translation brought about by a prophet, seer, and revelator who, uh, who received this information. And I don't know if the church had it, but they always refer to it. So I think they did have it at one point. But then Brigham did some things that are just not right. And I won't get into it too much. No, I don't believe Brigham conspired to kill Joseph Smith. But there were things that he did that weren't right. And the fact that, like, we've been given instructions as a church and to people to live certain laws. And Brigham Young, he harped on the people all the time. 
about living those laws, but he never lived them himself. And then he would get mad when the states, you know, like this one instance that I bring up all the time. The, the women of the church wanted to buy yellow ribbons to put on their dresses for some reason. I can't remember what the special occasion was. And Brigham Young went in a, uh, he, he basically got angry and he said that, oh, the, the women of the church shouldn't have bought these things. They should have donated the money that they used to buy these yellow ribbons to the church. You know, but then this man, Brigham Young, um, you know, back in the pioneer times, the railroad was just coming into Utah, and he would have all of the finest things that he could have while the whole church was living in squalor, but he lived like a king on the backs of the people, and that's not how things were supposed to be done either. Not only that, he never lived a united order. He never consecrated he said he did, you know, like it was his church and everything that was the church was his, you know. So he was always trying to get more and more and more, but not actually being obedient to the laws of God, wherein it states that one man is not, uh, should not own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lies in sin. And if you will be in his divine people, you must be equal in all things. He would talk about all these things, but he himself would never lead by example. So um, that, along with a lot of other stuff, and the fact that in section 124, Jesus said if they didn't build that temple where the Father could come restore the fullness of the priesthood, that he, Jesus, would reject the church with their dead. And he said, if you do the things that I say, I'll fight your battles for you. But if you do not, instead of blessings, you'll receive wrath, cursings, indignation. And he wouldn't fight their battles for them. And that's what happened. So looking back at church history and knowing the great curses and trials and hardships that came upon the saints after... Hold on. Excuse me the trials and hardships that came upon the saints after they left Nauvoo, along with the fact that God did not fight their battles for them and they did not remain in their place with Section 124 said they would if they were obedient to the building of the temple, which was the commandment in Section 124. You know, I have to say, you know what? The church was rejected with their dead, whatever that entails. Uh, they remained with uh, some priesthood and they were able to do some things, but that's why you see revelation and visitations and all of the gifts of the Spirit go from being vastly abundant within the, the church down to nothing today, or next to nothing today. Uh, no revelation, no thus says the Lord revelation, you know, so... So I don't accept Brigham Young as the Lord's anointed because I don't accept any who claim to be a prophet between uh, between the uh, 1844 to 2003. I don't accept any to be the Lord's anointed. Now, God can have prophets, and he does, but that doesn't give them any authority over the church as a whole at, like the Lord's anointed would have. So anyway, I'm about to go in the gap if anybody... Um, has any questions or comments um, as soon as I get through this little 
dead area, I'll uh, unmute myself or call back in if I drop the call again. But uh, if you have anything to say, maybe you can say something now, Kim. Kim, I don't really have anything to say. I have Emmett checking the um, the radio or the what is it called, Emmett? The chat room. Yeah, the chat room. No one's in there. There's nobody in there. And um, do you have anybody on the called in, Emmett? No. Uh, nope. We don't have anybody called in um, for the day. I know that you probably want me to say something intelligible here, but um, I'm trying to get everything ready for tomorrow also and been trying to run the carpet cleaner. <laughs> um in between talking. So. Well, I didn't drop the call, and I'm almost well, that's in the good. area <laughs> where. So we don't have anybody in the chat room, and nobody's called in. Yeah. Okay. I've been contemplating about just doing podcasts. Because yeah. we don't have people call in, and nobody uses the chat room. I know people listen, and I know that they watch everything, but. Um, there's other programs I would like to be able to listen to um, when I'm driving. Um, so I might just go to a podcast format a format, and keep the radio show for when people um, contact me. You know, they might want to say something. Thank you for listening to that. Hold on. Oh, no problem. Uh, 10-4. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I'm just like, you know. Oh, my sorry, phone I, is making noises. Sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Um, you know, so I'm thinking maybe I might just do that. I mean, I thought maybe if I did these programs at a time when people could join the program, um, people would call in, but that's not the case. I'm like, somebody told me the other day, they were trying to mock me. Um, you know, he said, oh, I looked at, I, I went in the history of this group, and I see that that your posts don't get hardly any likes, and nobody comments on them, and all of this and that. And I told him, look, I'm not here for the people who are sucking on the tip of the church still, mm-hmm. who choke on the milk of the gospel. I'm looking for the people who are interested in the meat of the gospel. And as as people might know, or they may not know, I do proclaim to be the one mighty and strong that is spoken of in Isaiah chapter 28. And the main mission of the one mighty and strong of chapter 28 of Isaiah is that he teaches they who are weaned from the milk and drawn from the bread. That's the milk of the gospel, people who are ready for the meat. And by numbers, they are few in comparison. So if I, if a million people hear my show and only one of them, like, listens and hears and takes these things and learns from it, like, then I'm successful. I really don't care about the masses. Um, Jesus did, and his salvation was for the masses. Although it does say, you know, that the, the way is straight and narrow, 
and few there be that find it. And the, the gate to hell is broad and many therein follow therein at. You know, so, you know, but, but even beyond his salvation that he gives, um, I don't offer any salvation, but um, I am interested, as Jesus and the Father are, uh, in finding quality, people who want to be obedient to the instructions given to us by God through revelation. And we're interested in quality, not quantity. We're not interested in quantity. Uh, quantity. I'm not interested in creating a church for a bunch of people. Now, I do like to teach people, and it's nice. But then there's another thing, too. A lot of these people who are ready for the meat of the gospel, they get hung up on the pride of their own knowledge, and they go this way and that with the precepts of men mingled with the meat of the gospel, and they can't be taught by anybody because they know it all, you know. So, like, that's a problem that Joseph Smith even had in his day. He said, well, I can't teach these, el- or these uh, elders because they know too much. And so, whatever. I mean, this is, we're sifting the 1% out. And Isaiah said that the minute will which is 1%. So, and that'll be the people who not only listen, but obey and are obedient to the instructions that God has given us. Uh, and they'll be the ones that redeem Zion. And all the rest who make all kinds of excuses as to why we can't be obedient to the laws of God, they will not be part of Zion. So, um, you know, but is being sprinkled throughout the nations of the earth, as Isaiah saw. But, um, you know, and I'm glad that people are learning from it, but um, we've been doing this at different times of day. We started at the three, and then we moved to four, did that for a while. We went to five, and then six, and then seven, and now eight. And, you know, I know people are reading the text, and they're listening to it because they see the stats. But nobody calls in. Very few actually want to be obedient uh, to trying to understand these things and to partaking of the knowledge that is had or being being obedient to the instructions given. And I'm just getting to the point where, you know what, I can create multiple podcasts a week without having to do the radio show all the time. And I think that we might just, I might just start releasing the programs that I create when I'm finished with them instead of waiting until 8 o'clock at night. Because this takes, I'm working right now. I can't do anything about that. Um, Kim is trying to do the things that we need to do in our house and we take an hour to two hours a day, five days, or, well, three to five days a week, you know, to, to do these things. And I don't think that, like, even the likes that I get for my posts on Facebook, like, it's the same people all the time, and they don't comment. And I don't, I think that they're like, oh, that's really great that you're doing that, like, but they don't actually read any of it. And they 
they don't contribute anything. So I'm just getting to the point where I'm thinking, you know what, the radio show, it'll still be there because I'll use Blog Talk Radio, you know, uh, to, to create the programs. But I'm getting to the point where I'm thinking, you know what, this is just, it's not worth my time and effort and the disruption of the family. The, the other thing that I do like, though, about doing the program with you, Kim, and with Emma, is you guys actually are studying with me, and we, as, as a group, are able to talk about the things that we're, you know, reading together, and I enjoy that. And this is, like, the only time of day when we can actually do that because it's just too much with five kids, you know. Yeah. So. No, I like that, too, and I like to study. Um, but, like, right now, I'm – a half an hour into what already should have been bedtime. I don't know if the girls are asleep. I know they've been upstairs since I told them to go to bed, but I haven't gone up there and done that. Emmett is waiting to run the steam cleaner on something I told him to clean earlier today, but he's not doing that because I'm sitting here on this thing, uh, and I told him, told him he can't run it. Yesterday, and he still hasn't yeah. done it, and then he had all day to do it, and whatever. Yeah, yeah so... And yeah, uh, I so, haven't checked the kitchen yet because I'm still doing the radio show. So, yeah. Oh. yeah. So, um, yeah, I this, I think that it might just be time to be done with doing these live programs all the time. Okay. So, anyway, Kim and I will talk about it later and we'll be prayerful about it, but, yeah. you know, it's just, I, I, um, if I can do a show like every couple of days, you know, I'll use my re- recorder program that I use to read when I can and not be, the other thing too, when I record the program, I'm not sleeping during the daytime. I'll sleep for like three or four hours and then I'll wake up and I'll read. And then, um, if I can, but like today we didn't have, we had plumbers over all day. So I wasn't able to do that. You know, so then Kim's got to take time out of her schedule to read, or Emmett does, or we just don't do a show. So I'm thinking maybe I'll just, you know, every couple of days I might put something out, but I think it's going to, like, lower in the, um, you know, and it will be sporadic, too. It's not going to be releasing every day or every scheduled day. It'll be, okay, I, I finished it. You know, so now I will take the time to put it on the air, and I'll let people know when I'm going to do that whenever I have time available to do it instead of waiting. Instead of doing this when I'm trying to do other things as well, like drive a truck, for instance. So anyway, um, if you just want to go ahead and uh, play the end of music, I'll give you a call after uh, when the music and then until the music's over. Okay, yep. And then uh, have them end the program and the music mute myself. Anyway, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Kim and Emma, for helping with everything. And thank you for those of you who do listen. Uh, I do appreciate that. And uh, we'll be back on whenever we get back on. I don't know. Uh, so, all right. I guess I'll, uh, we'll be done with it. So, thanks for oh. listening. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye.
With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.